from west to east and kingdom to kingdom, you're listening to the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. Connecting with Walt is brought to you by Dreams Unlimited Travel, experts at helping you plan the perfect Disney vacation. Visit them on the web at dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Hello, and welcome to episode 96 of the Diz Unplugged, Connecting with Walt podcast. I am your host and Diz historian, Michael Bowling, and I am joined by my co-host, producer, and good friend, Craig Williams. Craig, how are you today? I'm not doing too bad. How are you, Michael? I'm doing okay. So are you basking in the lovely spring weather? Uh, no, no. We we didn't get <laughs> spring here. We just got summer. So oh. uh, including the rainstorms and all, uh, thunderstorms have been pretty prevalent. But it is making me happy because I have been getting very lazy about watering our, our hanging flowers that we have. And so anytime I get get the the storms to actually do the work for me it just it, it makes my life so much easier yeah we, we spring i think is finally here for us we're just having some lovely days we have rain in between but um i think i think we finally are looking forward to a lovely spring so yeah so it, did you did you mm-hmm. oh no uh, sorry go ahead no now did you get a chance to see dumbo i did yes oh what'd you think i thought it was enjoyable so okay. it wasn't it was I can understand people who loved it. I can understand people who hated every little bit of it. I can understand people who just thought it was okay and didn't really have many thoughts about it. It mm-hmm. I it just it, leaving the theater, it definitely I felt where there was a divisiveness to it. But at the end of the day, uh, as I've mentioned on the show before, Dumbo is is my favorite character, pretty much. Every now and then it changes. But uh, consistently, I would say Dumbo's my favorite character. And it, so just any time Dumbo was on screen, it was like, oh, I, I'm happy. Even when he's sad, <laughs> I'm happy. And, you know, I, I, I did have my issues with it. Like... Uh, there's mostly the villains in it per se um there's there's a villain at the start that is just seemingly nasty for no real reason at all and it mm-hmm. just didn't really make that much sense and then then once uh, i mean i i i can say spoiler alert skip over the next 10 seconds but i don't think it's a surprise uh, if you've seen one movie before, but Michael Keaton's going to also be a, a villain of sorts. I'll, I'll say that he's definitely an antagonist, but he's not really a bad person. He's got a henchman who is the true bad person with him, and and uh, that guy is just written like a complete Russian mobster stereotype, and Michael <laughs> Keaton is super bizarre, as if I don't think they gave him any direction. Just said, be weird. Do do your thing. Be weird. It's yeah. all gonna work out. But but beyond that, it was I you know, I a lot of people told me like, oh, we really don't like the plot. I'm like Well, it's a movie about a flying elephant. What 
what are you expecting in terms of plots? So, I I walked away enjoying it a lot. I know I will watch it uh, many times in the future. But what oh, do you think? Okay, that's good. I thought it was okay. So, um, I yeah I you know I I just didn't feel I didn't I didn't feel it was a compelling story. I didn't I wasn't intrigued. I didn't feel. I don't know. I didn't feel like I needed to know this story. Uh, you know, Walt always said, you know, when when the movie theater owners complained that Dumbo was only 65 minutes long and they wanted it longer. And Walt said, no, the story is perfect as is. And I'm not making it any longer. Um, and I, 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 I'm on Walt's side with this one. It- I, I just felt, you know, it, it was okay. I don't hate it. But, you know, it's not in Maleficent territory for me. But um, I, you know, yeah, I, 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 I'm not, I wasn't excited about yeah. it when I left the theater. To me, this was made for visual reasons, more or less than anything. Um, because they really didn't, they didn't stray too far away from the essential story behind mm-hmm. Dumbo. It was it was pretty much there. It was just having to redo stuff because, you know, having an elephant that can fly is about the craziest they can get. They can't have they can't have Timothy J. Mouse in there too whispering in Dumbo's ear the entire time because that wouldn't make sense. So flip it off with the kids and then, you know, they can't just be kids by themselves, so you gotta throw in Colin Farrell too. So they, they had to they had to stretch because of that but right but ultimately like it it didn't introduce anything new to the story really for me it just added an extra step into what was going to be the outcome and even then i guess the outcome is not something that if you're familiar with the the original uh the original animated film the 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 ending will take you by surprise a little bit but it it just Again, yeah, it just felt like they weren't they weren't concerned about really breaking off too far away from the story, and so to make it worth making, they had to be like, let's go crazy on the visuals. And visually, I, I thought it was it was really well done. Uh, but I mm-hmm. I like the Burton aesthetic, so yeah. I it it was fun trying to find the little Easter eggs of the previous Tim Burton films. Yeah, I it's yeah. and that's something I'm sure I'll see more and more as I as I I watch it again in the future, but it's like I I wouldn't ever tell anyone not to see it, but at least with the my friends that I know, I can judge them well enough to say like no, that's not really going to be your thing. So, it's it's definitely not a movie for everyone, but I I hope I hope that at least some people out there get some enjoyment out of it because it was not Maleficent level bad and yeah. it wasn't it wasn't Beauty and the Beast level bad but to me it wasn't still on the one it wasn't on the level of the the ones that have been made right and in my book still right now the the top 2 on that are Cinderella and mm-hmm. and then probably the Jungle Book but the Lion King trailer the the next trailer just came out uh, recently, as of our recording to uh, to break the wall down. Came out this morning, so it's it just that's getting me more and more excited. 
everybody's very excited it. about it. I haven't. I didn't have time to see it today. But, <gasps> I have, but I've seen all the. I've seen all the scuttlebutt on the internet about it. Everybody is so excited. Yeah. No. It's you're. It was. They cut that trailer perfectly. They included. They included parts that you need to see in order to get a feel for what the movie will really be like. They included parts that that you had to because they're instant callbacks to to the original movie and then get a get a sense of what the character voices will actually be like, but then mixed with with the perfect, perfect score. Uh basically just a, a little bit of a variation on the original score, which I mean it's it's one of my favorites. I I I love Hans Zimmer, and that that score is just awesome. So I like that they're even sticking with the same same elements to it, just just varying it slightly. So it is it is good. We we can talk about it more in depth next week when uh, okay when you finally good. get to watch it. Alrighty, sounds good. But thinking about other things, I wasn't very excited about my D twenty three charter member gift came this week. Uh-huh. And and it was it was now it's very nice of them to send something to acknowledge charter members and there was a a little note in there well let's see thank you know thanking me for being one of the earliest you know members of D twenty three and it was you know signed and it goes on and it was signed by Mark Mike Fargo and and um it, it's a charter member exclusive limited edition poster celebrating 10 years of d23 and basically it's a poster and it says 10 in there and all that and it's different it's images of their various covers of the d23 uh-huh. magazine throughout the year and i thought okay that that's great but what am you know it's not like i'm hanging this on my wall and so, you know, yeah. I don't know what if, they, again, it was nice of them to do that. It's just, you know, I don't need another poster. But um, I don't know what I would have liked. But you know. <laughs> nah, <laughs> I'm, I'm right there with you, though. Like, I, I, I was a charter member until I let my membership lapse for a couple of years when I was in college. And uh, or no, it was after I was in college. I, I I graduated, so it was after before I had a job, and I couldn't afford extravagancies like like being a D23 member, so mm-hmm. uh, I, I lost my charter membership on that, but um, but no, I, I'm right with you on like posters as gifts. I, every now and then, a poster really gets me excited. Like that's that's one of my favorite things about going to the D twenty three expo or like the the year that I went to Star Wars Celebration. It was the the hype over trying to get a, a free poster and then I kept getting more posters and more posters on top of the posters that I already have and then on top of the Disney art I've bought and other adult artwork that is way more impressive than posters. Not to say the posters aren't for adults. Uh, a lot of posters mm-hmm. are made so beautifully they are they are actually genuine artwork and I I have some posters that I cherish more than than I would if I would go out and pick out something from an art gallery, but but yeah, it's just it, at some point I have to just draw the line and say I don't need any more posters. And yeah. that happened I think 3 years ago. <laughs> yeah, I'm the same way. 
<laughs> oh well, but it was nice. So, so if you so charter members, your gifts in the mail. <laughs> so anyway, I wanted to remind folks about the the Waltland bus tour with Bob Gurr on May nineteenth. Uh, I know we've had a number of listeners sign up after you uh, created that that great. Um, image craig thank you yeah no that. you're welcome the only thing we missed is as you had to point out after is i forgot to put where people can buy tickets at so <laughs> you don't get everything perfect the first time no no well i put it in the dis- you know yeah. in the message so. yeah but um anyway yeah and, and just remember it's may 19th uh, be sure you use the discount code unplugged all lowercase and of course um where you're uh connecting with walt um or your Diz t-shirts, because hoping we'll get a photo op out of that. And that discount also applies to a Swinging Wake celebrating 50 years of the Haunted Mansion on Saturday, um, September 28th with Bob Kerr and Garner Holt as well. And so you can go to waltland.com to find out more information about what's involved in a Waltland tour, which is very cool. And also get... um, and get your discount, get your tickets, and and sign up for your lunch that comes along with it, too. And along with that, uh, we're going to have Bob Gurr on the show, who's going to answer your questions about... Um, about whatever you want to ask him. It could be about his work with Walt and at Imagineering, his career after Disney, his hobbies, or anything at all. In his Bob's latest email message, he shared with us his latest passion. And, and, and Bob was an amateur pilot, and he owned his own plane until a few years ago, and he flew gliders and sailplanes for over 50 years. Well, now he likes flying every night someplace on his X-plane flight simulator. His favorite aircraft is the Boeing 737-800 that he likes to fly on the simulator, but he said not the version that crashes. Uh, so anyway, yeah. <laughs> so, so, so that's something you can ask Bob about as well. So Craig, how can our listeners submit questions for Bob? Well, over on facebook.com slash disunplugged, we have a, a post that is currently pinned to the top of the page, and that post will uh, will remain there. And right now, I think we're looking at the cutoff date. I know we've only been talking about this for a couple weeks now, but we're probably making the cutoff date uh, April 15th. So Monday, April 15th, we will leave it pinned up there and potentially look again like by april 17th but then of course uh, easter weekend is coming up and and we're not going to be able to to spend a lot of time going through questions like that so if you definitely want to make sure your question gets our eyes on it so they can eventually make it to bob i would get in there by april 15th and if if you didn't listen to this until the 16th or 17th in the morning and you you want that one last time uh chance go ahead and still get over there and ask it we can't promise that we'll we'll see it but uh we we might 
So mm-hmm. we, we we'll will do our, do our best. Exactly. So, and it's easy like it is for any of our question and answer episodes on that post that I said, just leave your question in the comments down below. You're going to see uh, everyone else's questions or the whole bunch right now. So if you have time, go through, look, see what other people asked. So that way you also aren't doubling up on theirs. So I want to, want to try to be unique. Even, I mean, I guess so. If you just legitimately have the same question, then Go ahead and double it up. Then maybe you'll have twice as good of a chance to get it answered. And <laughs> even if we credit someone else, you can say, no, that was my question too. So they're, <laughs> they're asking mine. But yeah, no, head over to facebook.com slash disunplugged and, and go ahead and, and leave a comment and leave a question for Bob. And if you, if you don't like that page either, go ahead and hit the thumbs up on it and follow along with it too. That's always helpful. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. All right. Thank you. Looking forward to that episode in a few weeks. So, all right. Each quarter, we invite members of our Connecting with Walt family to become a part of the show by submitting questions for me and Craig to answer. Questions are generally about Disney theme parks and resorts, Walt Disney's family, the Walt Disney Company, Imagineering, Disney films, and more. So in our previous episode, Craig and I answered questions about the Disney theme parks and resorts. So if you haven't listened to that, you want to check that out. This week, we are going to answer questions in the categories of Walt Disney and the Disney family, the Walt Disney Studio and its films, um, you know, the Walt Disney Company, and then there's a few miscellaneous questions in there that might come up. We, we won't get to all of them because there's so many, but we can, um, we'll, we'll get to as, to as many as we can. So, Craig, is there a question you want to start out with? Yeah, I'm actually I'm going to make you talk a lot right away. Uh, in the order that we're going, we have we start with Walt Disney this time around, and there's at least two questions in there that I want to know more about too. Mm-hmm. So I and it's stuff that I genuinely I can't I can't actually say anything in regards to them so i'm interested to hear what you have to say but the first one comes from brian wilson not of the beach boys fame don't worry i was just (laughs) as disappointed but uh it's fine i I believe one day he'll he'll listen to us out there um but brian asks can you discuss walt disney's religious beliefs as it pertains to the influence you feel they may have had on the parks sorry have had on projects in the parks or studio productions Mm-hmm. Well, Walt, Walt, Walt had spiritual beliefs. I mean, he believed in God and all that. He he wasn't someone that went to like necessarily went to church every week. Although the interesting thing is, he you know like Sharon went to Catholic school and and stuff like that. So he respected it. You know, he um, was a big supporter of the sisters that ran St. Joseph's Hospital right across from the studio. In fact, you know, Walt donated the land and, you know, got them going there yeah. and stuff like that for the hospital. So, influence we may have had a projects into Parker Studio Productions, I think you see a lot of it in just family orientation uh, of, of everything that he did. I mean, it was always family. Um, in, in, and I think that's a tremendous influence because, um, you know, again, generally people with strong religious or spiritual beliefs have strong um, 
family beliefs and family traditions. And, you know, so there's always a lot of family gatherings. Um, if you see some of the original drawings for Disneyland's Main Street USA, there, there was a church. Um, on oh. Main Street because a, a, a there, you know, because, you know, small towns always had a church, but Walt had it removed because he felt that he didn't want anybody put off because he wanted the park to be for everybody. Um, you know, there, there, I think there were a couple films where maybe there, there were prayers said, but, um, you know, otherwise, I, I just think that it was just, the, the the values that Walt portrayed in the films that yeah. you know it's those morals and values that really come from you know the early you know early religious and you know Judeo Christian if you want to call it that you know foundations yeah. that you know our moral and you know, sort of our morality you know springs from. You know, so yeah. um, no, I I couldn't even think of anything that was like coming to me off the top of my head, and who knows, someone might be yelling at their podcasting device right now, saying, "How could you not remember this?" But the only thing that even jumped out to me was, in terms of like overly religious uh, anything, and in a movie even was obviously the Ave Maria section in Fantasia. Exactly that follows um you know <laughs> because he wanted he wanted to depict good you know yes. co- overcoming evil yeah and you know ave maria is a is a religious song of sorts and it's but i think like you just said it really was it needed the balance you know after after chernabog and the chernabog and the the demons are parading through town you need that that light side, that mm-hmm. goodness in it. Yeah, the, so, of, the, of the pilgrims, yeah. you know, marching through the woods, singing, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. But uh, should I just ask the other one that sure, I wanted to hear sure. more about? The other one Absolutely. was from Susie, uh, and wanting to know more about Sharon Disney's story. And, like, of course, she was adopted, but did she ever meet her mm-hmm. birth family? And, and how did she come to be adopted? Well, yeah, Sharon was adopted uh, in December 1936. She was had been she was 6 weeks old when she came to the Disney family. Uh now within the family, neither Walt nor his wife ever hid the fact that Sharon had been adopted. However, they became very annoyed if people outside of the family raised that point. Uh, the, Walt and Lillian were very careful to keep their daughters out of the public eye as much as possible, you know, particularly in light of the Lindbergh kidnapping that had happened at that time. So, uh, you know, in fact, Walt took steps to ensure his daughters were not photographed by the press um, for many, many years. Um, uh, otherwise, because of that, um, Nothing has been shared. Nothing was shared publicly about Sharon being adopted until after Lillian passed. You know, one of the criticisms people have leveled against Bob Thomas and that it was a sanitized um, version of Walt's life in the book, um, Walt Disney American Original, um, was that it was not mentioned that Sharon was adopted. That was out of 
respect and request of the Disney family um, because they did not want Sharon treated any differently than any other member of the family. Mm-hmm. So uh, it wasn't until after Lillian passed that the book was revised to and, and Sharon passed to, to show that the um, to, to indicate that she had been adopted. So details about her birth family, things like that have just those those have never been made public. Oh. And and whether yep. she met them, anything like that, if it has been shared with anyone outside of the family, I'm unaware of it. Yeah, that I mean that has me even more intrigued now, knowing how secretive mm-hmm. it all is. But interesting. And, and that that was very common at the time. Oh so. yeah, it makes sense. Anyway. It, it all makes sense. But good. Mm-hmm. I'm glad we could get a little bit yeah, uh, more insight. It, yeah, and even Diane never thought twice about it. She just, you know, the, apparently the way Walt and Lillian explained it to her, you know, Sharon coming to them at six weeks, is they just told her there are many ways family grows. Sometimes the baby grows within the mother, and sometimes, the, you know, you, you bring the baby home. And, and, and Diane just felt, because Diane was tiny, you know, she was really little when that happened. And so um, she just thought, yeah. Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. It does. And so <laughs> she never she never gave it a second thought about yeah. Sharon being adopted. Yeah, and she shouldn't have. So mm-hmm. it all works out. Yeah. Okay. Is there anything else you wanted to know out of this? Um I uh, We can always jump back. If we have time, okay. so we have a lot of questions, so okay. I don't want to. I don't want to harp on anyone too long. All righty. Well, I'm gonna since it's my turn now. I'm gonna skip over to. I'm skipping over the imaginary category because actually, Julianne, we answered this question in a previous Q and A episode about who are the Imagineers of today that we'll be talking about in 50 years. We've talked about like noteworthy Imagineers of today and all that previous episode. Mm-hmm. So um, so I'd recommend you go back and, and find that episode and all that. So um, Spencer Wright, if we gave an award for um, <laughs> the, the, the quantity and quality of questions, I think he would get the award this time around. Anyway, uh, so Craig, I'm going to ask you, some of these are, are right into your your wheelhouse here. Okay. Do you have a favorite or least favorite book or movie adaptation done by Disney? If so, could you please specify? I had to think about this one a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I did figure it out. So obviously there were so many adaptations done throughout all of Disney's time, uh, you know, with all of the classic fairy tales being brought to life and then other classics like the jungle book swiss family swiss family robinson Twenty Thousand leagues under the sea there's so many good ones uh, i want it to be a little bit bizarre in my answer i would say honestly it it could be it could be Twenty Thousand leagues under the sea because i still really do enjoy that book i think uh, I, I love Jules Verne as an author, so I can thank Back to the Future Part Three for for my love of <laughs> Jules Verne, honestly. But uh, on another author that was very important to me growing up uh, was, of course, Roald Dahl, and 
I'm sure I butchered how to say his name. And so I'd have to go with one of my favorite adaptations uh, that, that Disney has made into a film was the stop-motion James and the Giant Peach. Mm-hmm. So I I feel like I don't know many people out there who appreciate that movie, but I love it. Uh, it it was one of my favorites watching it when when I was growing up, and I still enjoy it today. So I I think it's very underrated, and I, I'm not sure if it's on Netflix or anything. Uh, they did release the Blu-ray years ago. We know it's going to be on Disney Plus one day, so so it will be available at at one point in time. But I, I love James and the Giant Peach, so I would recommend watching that if you haven't before. Uh, I'm going to then I'm going to give a least favorite one too, and I'm going to I, I don't know if it's going to be really count, but said book or movie adaptation done by Disney. I'm going to go with a movie that was adapted from a video game, and that was the awful Prince of Persia movie that was made years and years ago. I think 10 years ago now with Jake Gyllenhaal and Ben Kingsley. Ugh, that thing was garbage. And the only reason why I have it in my collection in case anyone would come around one day is because I wanted as many Disney movie rewards that I could possibly have. And uh, sometimes I still buy Disney movies that I don't really care to own and keep them in my library just so I can get the Disney movie rewards. And I know (laughs) that sounds insane, but welcome to my life. But that thing was awful. Um, Nutcracker in the Four Realms was bizarre, if you didn't see that this year. I did Uh, not see it. I I thought, leaving the theater, I went to see it with Rhino, and... He just like downright hated it. I was like, I was like, well, halfway through the movie, I felt like they realized how stupid it was turning out and they didn't lean into it enough, but they put a couple nods in there to say like, yeah, we know it's bad, but just go along with it anyways. We're going to make Dooney and Bork purses out of it. Uh, so that was interesting. And, um, and then the one that kind of uh, just another one worth mentioning because it was released last year but uh, I didn't mind A Wrinkle in Time in theaters I didn't think it was perfect but then I I did read the book because I I definitely didn't read it while I was growing up wanted to, to kind of see what it was all about and I just don't think I cared for the book at all and then it made me dislike the movie a little bit more too so uh, very weird, and that's that's my short list of stuff I'm going to mention. Mm-hmm. I mean, we can go yep. into Alice in Wonderland and Alice Through the Looking Glass and so much more in, out there, but I'll, I'll let you get in on this one. Okay. See what you have well, to say. Fav- my favorite ones are the classics, uh, uh, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, Swiss Family Robinson, and... Um, Oh, gosh. Treasure Island. Treasure Island. That's what I was going to say. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
I love those. I could watch those over and over again. Um, least favorite. This is one of my favorite Christmas film uh, films. One of my favorite a Christmas book I read every year, and uh, by one know. of my favorite authors, Disney's A Christmas Carol. This was an abomination. <laughs> it was. I completely forgot about it until you oh, you brought oh it up. Gosh. Oh man. It was just so bad. And I own it because I think I own almost every version of A Christmas Carol. I have not watched it, though. I, I, I saw it in the theaters, and I just have not been able to bring myself to rewatch it. Do you remember um, how Disney movie, movie Rewards back in the day used to give like $10 off Blu-ray coupons and such? Uh-huh. Well, they did, and this was one of them. <laughs> Uh, that they had a coupon that you could print off if you were part of Disney Movie Rewards, and you could get $10 off a Christmas Carol. And so I think I got it for like $7 because it was came out on sale for $17 and then throw on a $10 coupon on it. And I, I watched I got it, it on clearance. <laughs> yeah, I, I watched it once and I was like, what in the world is this trash? You are absolutely right. And, and that actually might supersede anything I said. It is. It is <laughs> pure, pure trash. Yeah. And then there was another one that I had such high hopes for. And and this was going to be one of the... This is a film that they were hoping was going to be a franchise. And John Carter of Mars... Yeah, I I never read the the John Carter books, but I I think I I I read one or two of them when I was little because the Tarzan books and and all that they were still sort of popular mm-hmm. um, when I was a boy. They were still they were easily accessible. Um, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I was the so disappointed okay. with the film. Yeah, it so. was not great, but it was there. <laughs> it happened. Pete loves it. I'll never understand that. I can understand thinking it's okay, because that's kind of where I was, but I can't understand loving it. But don't tell yeah. Pete I said that. So. <laughs> okay. But okay, my turn to ask you a question. Hmm. Uh, I'm going to go with... I'm going to go with this one. It's kind of a... It's still in the the films in Walt Disney Studios category, but uh, also relating into the theme parks. But Zoe asked, I'm fascinated by the nine old men. Do their names get mentioned in any of the parks? Yeah, I can speak to the California ones, and I'll let you speak to Walt Disney World. Okay. Um, yo, well, Windows on Main Street... Um, there, of course, they're there. Um, Buena Vista Street, uh, a Disney California adventure. There are references to them, and so if I ever do my my walks on those streets again at Disneyland and all that, and um, or even Magic Kingdom, uh, you know, I can point those out. But uh, Bu- Buena Vista Street, Disney California adventure. If you really take time to look at what's on the windows and what's on the signs and all that. There are so many references to Walt's life there. Um, you know, it, it, it's a lot of fun to find them. But yeah, the nine old men are um, definitely referenced there. Yeah. And, you know, the same goes with Walt Disney World. Uh, 
with Windows, and I on a bigger way, I would like to say that with the redone world of Disney, have you seen have you seen it in person yet? I I I zoomed through there. I don't think I spent a lot of time in it just because it was crowded. Yeah, I like to feel like it's you know it's pretty much the same on both coasts now. It not that it wasn't before, but with the redesign of of World of Disney, I like to to say that you know that the entire thought process behind that is is the whole animation kind of mm-hmm. warehouse with with all that so i feel like they were definitely thought of when they were when they were designing the new world of disney stores adding in all those animation touches you know it obviously goes beyond what the nine old men did with having you know ink and paint being put all around but but it's it's still by incorporating animation in that way i feel like it's it's at least a hat tip to saying to anyone who ever had an importance in animation at one point in time that that you are still valued and even though hand-drawn animation isn't isn't a thing that that we do nowadays we still look back and appreciate all the hard work that they did and made all those great movies that that we still appreciate to this day so that's 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 my broad take on it i don't know if anyone else would agree with me but i like to think that someone that that was in on the designing of those new stores said well we have to we have to appreciate the past in that way mm-hmm. yeah i agree so anyway and i you know i think i might have written an article for the diz years ago on uh, uh, some of the references on buena vista street at disney california adventure so folks you might want to search for that yeah on there but and if we see. find it, we'll put it in the show notes. Or if someone yeah. sends it to me, I can. Yeah. <laughs> so that would be me, right? <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, I'll have to see. I, I'm almost positive I did. But anyway. Okay. Well, okay. This, I'm going to ask you, Craig, another one in the film category. Um, Nathan asked, what influences did Walt have on filmmaking that still uh, being used today? I mean, in the most general sense, I would say just pushing the boundaries. So uh, we we live in a time right now where we we have seen the progressiveness of CGI and watched it, you know, from from early computer work on movies in the in the late seventies, eighties to then when everything started going right with Jurassic Park and then taking off from there and then hitting that dip in in the late 90s where CGI just was being used left and right but looked terrible and just the worst but then then there were some movies that were using a blend of it with practical practical effects and CGI and, and achieving such awesome results and and then it's just kept progressing 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 to this day and and i i feel like that is that is part of walt's influence on that i mean that's it's something natural that back in his day that you know it's movies were basic and they had to they had to leap forward there so starting out in silent films having to make the leap to 
to sound and then having to make the leap to color these were all these were all natural progressions that that were going to happen walt had you know walt had his hand right in them and that's that's a huge impact and and we've seen what he did with all that time and now now with with movies these these leap forwards are all the leaps forward that are still being made, I feel like they're in that same vein because people are driven like he was to say, you know what, there is an established form here that we can use. And, and you know, it, it, that that's true to this day that there are still people who say, I want to do things practically cheap on a budget. But then there's the people out there who say, I want to push push the boundaries and and sometimes they do it really well and other times you get disney's uh, a christmas carol starring jim carrey and uh, letting letting bob zemeckis just off the rails with technology and pushing it forward so uh, there's good and bad sides to it but i i i feel like that's that's the biggest influence walt had that's still being used today was Mm -hmm. never settling with what's out there. doesn't mean that you can't make movies where you don't have to try to embrace what's happening next, what's going next. But um, definitely there, there are directors out there who are pushing boundaries. There's companies out there who are, who are pushing the boundaries on what can be done. And, and that's those same ideals that, that Walt had and what they Mm -hmm. were doing. Yeah, I agree. And and some other things that he did, of course, was he made animation what it is today. Animation nobody took seriously until Walt started to create Oswald and Mickey Mouse and the Silly Symphonies. Then theater owners said, you know, we're not making a lot of money on these shorts. They started doing double features. Walt thought, well, you know, we can make, we're, I'm making a full-length animated film showing people it can be done again another revolution he a lot of the types of cameras and special effects that walt with uh, Biworks that they created still in use today yep. Uh, yep some of the effects used in darby o'gill and camera work used in darby o'gill and the little people in the no mobile mary poppins the birds because um alfred hitchcock came to walt and said i'm having this problem with this film can you help me and walt you know, lent a Biworks out and won, you know, Academy Award. Um, uh, Those things are still in use today. Uh, You know, I'm, I'm Walt, you know, musicals, they used to, they would have the the movie and then, you know, the the story, then it'd stop and everyone would break out in a song and all that. Walt integrated the music into the story so that it was more natural if you can call a musical natural for <laughs> for the performers to sing rather than the story stopping the music made the story progress and supported the story so there are all kinds of things that that Walt did that uh, that still influence film today oh yeah no can completely agree so it's you could almost you know hang up a whole bunch of techniques on a dartboard and throw the dart and chances are you'll find you'll find that you'll hit something that that walt did have his hand in at one point in time there but yeah absolutely um i'm gonna ask you one from bob also in this category 
Are there any fairy tales or stories that Walt really wanted but couldn't get the rights to? I don't know. You know, I thought about this and nothing came to mind because, you know, a lot of them Walt had the rights to and then he never did anything with them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, like he really wanted to do something with The Wizard of Oz. So he couldn't, of course, he couldn't do anything with the original book because that had been done. But he got the rights to the others. And then nothing came of it until we got returned to Oz because they were about to lose the rights. And they finally felt we'd need to do something with it. You know, I mean, Walt had tried to see about incorporating it into the, you know, the Casey Jr. and the storybook land um, boats, uh, an Oz thing. And and there, there were there was an attraction also that was thought of for it. And, um, you know, so there were just some things that he did get the rights to, but then he didn't know what to do with it. Or the, once he got it, the story just wasn't right. You know, infamously, you know, uh, they were working on Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast before World War Two, But Walt felt they just didn't have a handle on the story, and he dropped it. And, but, you know, they, um, but, you know, decades later, they finally found the right story. Yeah. And it revolutionized, uh, revitalized, you know, the Disney animation. So I, I can't think of anything outright, you know, the infamous fight with P.L. Travers to get the rights to Mary Poppins. Yes. I mean, because yeah. Walt sunk a lot of money into into Mary Poppins before he even had the rights to it. And I, I know, Spencer, you asked a question about P.L. Travers. I actually did an episode, I think, on our Disneyland show when that film came out where I talked about her and also talked about what did Saving Mr. Banks get right and what did it, um, uh, you know, do for creative purposes and and sorry basically she was much worse than that than that film ever depicted her and um you know she she literally would just say i don't want anything red in the film because i'm off red and 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 in fact walt was so fed up with her on the second day that she was at the studio he went to smoke tree ranch and just told everybody, you deal with this woman. So there goes most of the story of Saving Mr. Banks. Walt wasn't even there for yeah. it. So um, anyway, but yeah, she was um, she was a challenge to work with. And if you ever hear any of the recordings of her, um, you 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 will um, get an appreciation for her. She was very strong willed. She was very protective of her character, but she um, what she wanted would not have worked on film and would not have um, been popular for a film-going audience. And it might have worked in the books, but definitely not for a, a 1960s audience. And, and she came to appreciate the film later in life when she started to understand the connection that every time Mary Poppins was re-released, her book sales shot up, <laughs> and then they dropped down. Yeah. So, um, anyway, so that's why in her final years, she was a little more open to a sequel and to the Broadway version so, um, although with hmm. a lot of stipulations. Yeah. 
Anyway, so wow. there you go. Okay. Your turn to ask one. Alrighty, let's see what we got here. Oh, well, let's go into the Walt Disney Company. Um, Brian asks, what do you feel is the biggest missed opportunity of recent times by the Disney Company parks or otherwise? I I have been thinking about this a lot recently, probably because I was just out in California. And one of the biggest missed opportunities, I think, and I don't really want to sound like a pessimist on all of this, but I'm definitely in the camp that I wish they could have just found some land somewhere in California, in Anaheim, close enough to Disneyland and just built that that third gate and use that location for Star Wars Galaxy's Edge and mm-hmm. and whatever Marvel attractions were coming or anything else. I, I I like Guardians of the Galaxy and I like the Marvel meet and greets over at California Adventure uh, and I'm sure everything that's coming with it is going to be really entertaining and I'm sure I'm going to love everything about Galaxy's Edge but but I wish it just could have been its own thing somewhere else. I, I don't, as much as I'm going to love it, it's that what if is always going to be there. And I feel like, I feel like it is a missed opportunity not doing that scene if they could expand. I mean, Universal's about to do something similar here in Orlando with the only room to build their next property means it's not going to be connected immediately with their current two parks. So they mm-hmm. have to find a way around that. And so if they're doing it, why couldn't Disneyland and the Walt Disney Company have done the same thing with with a third park out there? And I know I know it's a lot more difficult and there's a lot more people who know insight on it than I do, but it just it feels like they missed out on a chance to expand there and make it an even bigger resort and it's something even worth even more worth traveling out to i know like like disney's universe and it could have been star wars and all the marvel folks and well now with all the fox you know yeah you know it could have been something amazing Mm -hmm. just out of this world Uh, they could have built a replica a replica um, Pandora in there too for all they wanted. Like it mm-hmm. just could have had so much. I feel like I feel like just being content with the land they already had and going with that and not finding a way around it just yeah. feels but, like they missed something. But they could have expanded the Marvel Universe so much more out there because we don't have the contractual limitation with Universal Studios out in California mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm they do in florida so they could just do some amazing things out here so um, yep anyway you know, it's funny i think mine comes on the heels of yours I, I i never understood why they didn't purchase garden walk near disneyland yeah yeah and now that's just getting bigger and bigger and bigger yeah i mean they could have gotten that thing in a fire sale at auction and i i I'm sure somebody inside the company can give a good reason, but I I'm, I think everybody was just flabbergasted 
by that. So much land across the street. Well, I'm glad they didn't. Otherwise, we might not have a House of Blues at all. After they kicked it out of downtown <laughs> Disney, Garden Walk comes in, saves it, gives it a home, and we're better off for it. Same with AMC. Yeah, yeah, maybe. I don't know. So, okay. Okay. Well, let me let me try to get you... Uh, I'll ask the, the one right below it, because I was looking at this one earlier. Ryan asked, do you think Michael Eisner will ever get a window on Main Street USA? What do you think the window would say, and what coast would it be on? Hmm... Well, there is a building named after him, but, um, I mean, over at Burbank. Yeah, I thought about this. I I think more time's going to have to go by, because I think after he just... It's, it's unfortunate that his last few years with the company sort of has defined his whole career with Disney. And... I think he's going to have a hard time overcoming the the post-Frank Wells years. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't surprise me if he got a window somewhere. It might not be on Main Street, but I, I just have a feeling it might be more at Walt Disney World because he was so instrumental in its expansion. Yep. I was... I, I mean, obviously, the first thing I thought of was uh, a big, big presence at Hollywood Studios. See, that's what I was thinking. If anywhere, it should be there. Yeah. And that's, I mean, I feel like that would be the perfect fit with somewhere at Hollywood Studios. I wouldn't mind him getting a window on Main Street USA at Walt Disney World at Magic Kingdom. I, I don't know what I would put on it or what it would say, but yeah, I, have no idea. I think I'm, I, I don't know. I, I think while a lot of people might not be over Michael Eisner and the attitude and the decisions that were being made at the end, I think I'm now past that. So I, you know, people people change and like I, I i love following him on twitter and it, like he was just recently at walt disney world and and was having a good time and saying positive things and you know it's it, he was a very very important person in in the disney history now and and it's it's an honor that he like like you said he does have his own building at the studios and i'm sure they'll find other ways to to pay tribute to him in the future but a window on main street seems like a tribute that would be fitting for someone of his caliber uh but and and i would be okay with it but if other people said no i i could also see their point of view in it too but i don't i don't have that animosity towards eisner really and i'm you know the same the same goes with katzenberg i've kind of said why why not i mean he's a little squirrely irritating <laughs> man but he also he also had his hand in some really really awesome movies yeah so maybe his window should be in the animation courtyard or something over yeah. um over at disney hollywood studios uh, until that's bulldozed so they'll give yes. it temporary. So, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. 
But yeah, I, I think I think that would be most appropriate over there. So, okay. Okay, your turn to ask. Oh, it is. Yeah. Oh, okay. Let me see here. Trying to think. How many more questions do you think we're going to be able... That might help me. Yeah, we'll probably do maybe three more total. Okay. Let's see. Huh. Some of these... I'm trying to think of ones we can both answer here. Well, okay, I'm I'm going to skip back up to films and Walt Disney Studios briefly. Chris asked, who is the modern-day Walt Disney? Does anyone today share the same vision Walt would have if he uh, were still alive? Any? Do you have any thoughts on that? I, I have one thought that I would... I, I, I know an easy one. For a long time, this, you know, if we would have answered this question two years ago, yeah. everyone would have jumped to John Lasseter exactly. right away. Well, that he was being promoted as that. Yeah. Yes. And I would say that was, there There was definite truth to that. I just mm-hmm. recently finished, finally, for the first time, uh, listening to Creativity, Inc., uh, Ed Catmull's book. and oh, yeah. But that also opened my mind to the fact that I really, while I knew stuff about like the brain trust and how they came up with the ideas and the stories for for the Pixar movies, and then and then used that and made it a, a, even bigger as time went on, and then implemented that over in the studios, but separate from Pixar, and and hearing his involvement in it that I never really quite, I never grasped even from anything watching watching the documentaries and reading articles about it making me almost realize that while while Lasseter was the face of it it's almost that like Pixar as a whole was a modern day Walt Disney is uh, pieces working together and I know we could say the same thing with like well Steve Jobs was kind of Pixar's Roy Disney in a way, funding the money and and setting it off, and there there's a lot of ways around that. But I feel like I feel like that's still an, an equal argument to say is that Pixar as a whole is is a modern Walt Disney, not not one person in particular. But I think there's a lot of directors out there that that I I respect a lot, and that I feel like is wants to take their movies and. And you know, make them make them something special, make them timeless. And I, I like many people, I respect so much all of the work that Steven Spielberg has done. And I don't think you can compare him to Walt Disney like right away, immediately. But heck, he even he even had his foray back in in the late eighties and early nineties when he was heavily involved with with everything going on with the animation happening with with Universal in a blues. So even then he tried to, to dip his hands in stuff that, that Disney had done before. So I, I feel like Spielberg would be would be someone you could throw in there too. I 
I think that J.J. Abrams obviously is someone who he looked up to Spielberg and and I feel like he also embodies uh, some some ideals that that Disney had and and I, I would say even John Favreau to to an extent with with how he's been going crazy pushing the photorealism with what he did with Jungle Book and and what he's doing with with uh, the Lion King that's about to come out and and even some of the family movies that he's made in the past too it's embracing those ideals so there's there's a lot of people i don't know if there's any one person out there who fits the bill as the best modern day walt disney but i think there's a lot of people who were influenced by him that at least want to take a couple characteristics from from what walt was like along the way mm-hmm I I I agree with you. There there is no modern day Walt Disney. Um, I think of Walt more as an idea man and a visionary, not so much as a doer, because like you said, Craig, he ha- he knew who to surround himself with. You know, like all the people at Pixar kind of thing with John Lasseter. He knew who to- he he Walt had the visions. He had the ideas. He knew what he wanted to do. He had this uncanny ability to know what would work, what would not work, um, and what, how to tell the story, and what the, and how people would react to it. And then he could size up people in an instant and know if I put these people together and I light the little spark in them with this vision, with this story, with this idea, they're going to be able to do it. And there is no one, I believe, that can do that today. And when you think that Walt yep. was a self-made man who who never finished high school, and yet he he had that ability you know he had an insatiable insatiable thirst for knowledge and self-education and that if everything came out of his head and and he he always kept asking questions he he never considered himself the smartest one in the room walt had no ego he had confidence but it was well-placed confidence yeah. He didn't, and I, I can't think of anybody in in the public today that uh, that does that, that has that ability, and um, so I do not think there is a modern day Walt Disney. Yeah, I I'm right there. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to ask you a fun one. I already sure. know what your answer is going to be, but it's you know I, I think it still could provide a, a fun result but christy ann asked which disney song team has your vote sherman and sherman uh, or ashman and Mencken? Uh, oh sherman and sherman <laughs> yeah. sherman brothers yeah i saw that i thought that was going to be one of our last ones yeah yeah I, Absolutely. I i mean yeah without a doubt sherman and sherman but i i i do love the team of ashman and Mencken, but oh, i think well, that's kind yeah. of underselling Mencken as mm-hmm. as an individual you know, Mencken has worked with uh, Alan Mencken has worked with others besides just mm-hmm. Howard Ashman, and he's done a lot of a lot of incredible work yeah. for Disney. And uh, while a lot of that music, since it is still 
you know, it's it's still being written to this day. I don't know if we're far enough out where we can call it purely iconic. Definitely from from a movie standpoint, there's iconic music. Uh, theme parks, no, but I I think Alan Menken definitely is is someone who that anytime you get the chance to see him play uh it, whether it's at a d23 expo or any other random show you know he's he's gonna throw in stuff throughout his tenure uh, you're gonna hear some little shop of horrors and other other things he's done but alan Menken is is a complete genius and when you pair him with the right people he is just he, he's phenomenal but the sherman brothers just classic they, and they were they didn't just write for Disney films. I mean, they wrote pop yeah. music. Yeah. They wrote, uh, you know, they wrote for theme park attractions. They wrote jingles <laughs> for commercials. They wrote, uh, you know, their songs have gone on to Broadway. Uh, I, I mean, they wrote all kinds of stuff. So, um, the, the, and they were prodigious at it. They had so many different projects going on mm-hmm. at the same time and mm-hmm. if a song didn't get accepted in one for one film well you know a little rewriting a little changing of the lyrics it made it into another film so i mean so they were flexible too <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and um so yeah i mean you know they I, you know they they definitely wrote the soundtrack you know of our childhood yeah I yeah think so Okay. Okay. Well, what do you got for me? Let's see. Um, well, Annie or Ani? I'm not too sure which. Um, I'm trying to think. I, I'm going to. Let's. They wrote a whole bunch of questions. Yeah. I'm going to take the third one. Okay. Um, if you could live in any land at Disney, where would you live and why? Where would your well, again? Of course, there's like 18 questions in their third question. What? Where would your efficiency apartment be above a storefront on Main Street USA in a pagoda in Japan? However, you cannot choose Walt's apartment in Disneyland. Should we also say it can't be the um, dream suite <laughs> in the uh, castle? That was Magic not Kingdom? said. I, I wouldn't. I know. Okay. I don't. Okay. Think then I'm not going to put that anyways. in there. Yeah, I don't think so. Too. Yeah. Oh man. Um, can I, I? I need to think. I think I have an idea on it, but it would be kind of breaking the rules a little bit. So, can you answer yours first? I think anywhere in Disney. Uh, yeah, you know, I'm trying to think. Okay, would I want to be in Disneyland, or would I want to be over in Walt Disney World with that horrible weather, or would I want to be in an overseas park? But see, I haven't been to all the overseas parks. And then mm-hmm. this whole issue with language and food. So, um, the, uh, Animal Kingdom is my favorite park over at uh, you know at Walt Disney World, as everyone knows. I think I would want to live in Animal Kingdom. Maybe oh. in maybe in Africa, somewhere up there, because then I could, you know, I could go and visit the animals whenever I want and wander on the um, trails. And, you know, I like the music there. And yeah. um, I just like the ambiance of it all. Yeah. So no, that's, that's I'd, not I'd, a bad I'd choice to be there. Yeah. Uh, for mine, I'm going to time travel a little bit. And I'm going to go back to the 50s. And 
And I think I'm going to choose to live inside Tomorrowland at Disneyland. In the in the bathroom of the future. In the, well, in the, the house of the future. <laughs> oh, oh, that's a great one. Yeah. So yeah, Santa's it's house of the future. Those big giant windows overlooking the park, and just mm-hmm. you know, it, it's it's got to be comfortable, and it's the house of the future. It's got everything mm-hmm. I need for the future. Mm-hmm. So that's I, I think that one's just an easy answer. It's cheating. It uh, is cheating because that's that's a really good one. Yeah. I would that would be my runner up. Yeah, you're allowed to cheat as long as you cheat well. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, I think we have time for one more. So I'll ask you another fun one here. This one's from Ross. As you know, the Disney company has not been doing well financially lately. So I think we should try to help them out by telling them how they can take our money. What is one Disney Blu-ray book or other merchandise that you would pre-order as soon as they announced it? Other than Song of the South, because we all want that. For me, it would be season one of the Disneyland TV show on Blu-ray. That's Ross saying it, not me saying it. So what would be your one thing, either a Blu-ray, book, or other piece of merchandise that you would get immediately if it was available? Hmm. Trying to think of something that I regret not getting. Oh, I didn't even think about it from that perspective. See, that's, that's brilliant. A, see, I yeah. was thinking, like, I was thinking of like, Kevin and Jody. They're they're always posting stuff of things that they they made in past years. Yeah, and I thought I never saw that. When did they make that? And it was like five years ago. How did yeah. I miss that? And so I'm, I'm always in China. And every time it comes up, it's like I I wish I'd gotten that. <laughs> so yeah, how no, did I, I miss it? I have that regret with a lot of their stuff too. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I'm just trying to think: is there a series or something that's just not out there? I'm trying to think of like some of those Disney Treasure series that I didn't get. Yeah. Um, or, or something that's incomplete. Um. Well, I know for me, I, I would go on. I, I have two, so I'll answer the first one while you're still pondering. Okay. You know, Ross just stopped at season one of Disneyland on Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. I would say, why would you? Why would you ever just settle for for the first season of it? I want, I want everything. I mm-hmm. want Disneyland. I want Walt Disney Presents. I want the wonderful world of color. I want it all uncut. Mm-hmm. I want it with the commercials still mm-hmm. in there. Oh, yeah. Showing fun. the authenticity. And I want it on physical. I I know that Disney Plus is coming. And hopefully they just keep announcing more and more just incredible sounding things that are going to be a part of it. But I, the other thing I get terrified of when it comes to streaming entertainment is that it's it's there for while while the person who is is putting it out there keeps it out there but when you have that that physical item when you have that blu-ray or that book no one can ever take that away from you uh we don't even if they pull it from streaming even if you have something saved on a hard drive hard drives don't last forever you can you can lose all of your photos one day if mm-hmm. if you don't constantly back up or have a cloud system so or print them out and have physical copies that you know you keep safe so i want i want those blu-rays i want it of all of the shows and i mm-hmm. i want it now 
Okay. I was thinking it's there's a Disney Channel series, an early Disney Channel series I would want on Blu-ray, and that is the Disney Family album. Yep. Because the, the nine old men are on it. The early the early Imagineers are on there. Uh, some of the um, early act, you know, Fess Parker, you, you know, and, I mean, there's all kinds of folks on there. It's a charming series, really well done. And I, I would get that right away. Yeah. Yeah. You talked about it before. I, I need to mm-hmm. watch more on, on YouTube. The, the one thing that you inspired me with, with thinking about the one big regret purchase, uh, I, I don't know if I've told this story on here before, but I'll keep it quick. Um, back when I started with the Diz, I then also started going to shop at at the Disney Character Warehouse outlets. And my one massive regret purchase I ever had there was there was this stained glass looking window that looked like it had a skull on it that kind of resembled Nightmare Before Christmas, but I didn't really know. And it was, it was, I think, the middle of summer, and I'm not going to buy something for Christmas in the middle of summer. So I just kind of passed on it and said, you know what, it's not that that big of a deal. And then I finally kind of said, no, actually, that's cool. It, it's something I want that had, again, stained glass of kids in a bed and saying the children were nestled in their beds and i went back and of course it was gone there was only one of them and went on ebay immediately and saw that it was purchased by a reseller and recently posted and i'm not saying that is a sad story in that i i found some great stuff at the character warehouse back in the day i have three of kevin and jody's statues that I got there for, for I think like $30 each when they were not $30 when they were in sale mm-hmm. at Disneyland, but winding back the story then. Uh, so that would have been summer. And then Kylie and I got to go to Disneyland at Christmas for the first time that November in which we walked inside Haunted Mansion holiday and realized that the stained glass window that we saw at, at, the character warehouse the outlet store was a reproduction of one of the ones from the stretching room that they change out for haunted mansion holiday and since we had never done it before we had no idea what it was in the store there and as soon as we saw it there in person at, at haunted mansion holiday it was it made me sick thinking i could have had one of those and then you know doing the dive on the internet and finding out it wasn't that they just made one they made all four of them that i could have had and i I, still i could have had that one if i just wouldn't have been cheap that one day and that could have been one of my most cherished christmas decorations but uh that's that's one that if they ever released all the four stained glass windows from Haunted Mansion Holiday is a set again. I I would be in immediately. I I would go broke on them. I know that when the Disney Gallery first opened at Disneyland above Pirates of the Caribbean, they were selling artwork signed by like Herb Ryman, John Hinch, and all that. And oh, I I regret not. Buying oh, yeah. it, but Holy. we were we were a young family, and yeah. we just couldn't afford it. 
But I I I regret it to this yeah. day. Okay. Our Disney regrets. That'll be our yeah. next episode. Yeah, really. And there's so <laughs> many. I want to answer. We got multiple questions about books. So I just want to rattle them off because I get emails and postings about book recommendations. So there were all ki- all kinds of questions asking, you know, what books I recommend about Disney history, about Walt, about the studios, about the Disney parks, and all that kind of is what needs to be the top five in this library. I'm just going to rattle off some books that I think people who really want to know about various aspects of Disney history should have in their library. Now, problem is, kids, a lot of these are out of print. But I think these are important. This is your starter set. Because there are more <laughs> that you should have, but I would I would look at these first. Um, okay, Walt Disney, American Original by Bob Thomas. The Hand Behind the Mouse, an intimate biography of Ub Iwerks by Leslie Iwerks and John Kenworthy to get, you know, the other side of, of the story. Building a Company, Roy O. Disney and the Creation of an Entertainment Empire by Bob Thomas. Storming the Magic Kingdom, How Corporate Raiders Forced a Revolution at Disney by John Taylor. Fascinating story of how Ron Miller was ousted and Michael Eisner and Frank Wells were brought in. Disney War by James B. Stewart, The Fall of Michael Eisner. This is very well captured in that one. Designing Disney by John Hench. Want to know about... Uh, about uh, what goes into building a Disney theme park, this is the book for you. The Illusion of Life, Disney Animation by Ollie Johnston and Frank Thomas. Secret Stories of Walt Disney World and Disneyland. There are multiple books in these series by Jim Corcus. Um, The Disneyland Story, The Unofficial Guide to the Evolution of Walt Disney's Dream by Sam Genoway. So there you go. Happy reading. I expect it's all your book reports to be turned in by the end of the semester. <laughs> They'll get it done. So, I'm yeah. sure. Or they won't. Either way. All right. Okay. That's it then. Well, this was a good uh, – that was our final question then, right? Or did you, yeah, you yeah, save no, one? That was no. final, Yeah. Okay, yeah. great. Yeah. Well, thank you. I'm sorry we couldn't get to all of the questions, but if we didn't get to yours, hang on to it when we ask when we have another one of these rounds in the next few weeks or next few months. And there's a couple I'm hanging on to that may become a, a full-blown episode one day. And now it is time for This Week in Disney History. So, Craig, are you all set for for this? Yeah. Feeling, feeling smart this I'm, week? I'm feeling okay this week. I'm feeling okay. decent. Good. I, I forgot what the trend was this week in, in all the things that were going on. I think there's a lot of theme park things Good. happening. Good. So, um, anyway, but... It, yeah, there were a couple, but there were other. Oh, there was there were a lot of things, uh, a lot of films debuting 
a lot of TV shows debuting and stuff like that, too, for some reason. I'm so, nervous. Um, okay. <laughs> but I don't think I pulled any of those. Okay. So, um, okay, for April 14th, both Walt Disney World and Disneyland broke ground on this highly anticipated attraction on April 14th, 2016. I'm going, if they both broke ground on it, I'm going to say that that would have had to be uh, Galaxy's Edge. You're right. They were calling it Star Wars Land way back when, but yes, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. And that's how it will still be known for 93% of every tourist that comes through there. Absolutely. And the others will just call it Galaxy's Edge. Yeah. (laughs) Galaxy's Edge. But uh, yeah, it's like the Ratatouille ride. Whatever they're going to call it over yeah. at Epcot, everybody's just going to call it Ratatouille. Oh, yeah. It's Ratatouille. Yeah. It's got to be Ratatouille. <laughs> yeah. Okay. April 15th, the last concrete beam was laid for which Walt Disney World attraction on April 17th, 1971? Oh. Um, well, there's only a couple to choose from that opened in 1971. Um What did you say? Say the question one more time again. The last concrete beam was laid for which Walt Disney World attraction on April 17th, 1971? Okay. Hmm. When you say concrete beam, that makes me think of one thing immediately, but then you say attraction, and that throws me off. I'm very broad with this attraction. Okay. With this definition of attraction. Because as soon as the concrete beam stuck out to me, because, of course, we know the concrete beams of the monorail, but mm-hmm. uh, our, I, I still, I, you can call it an attraction, but it's more transportation. But it is an attraction, I guess, in that same mm-hmm. sense. It might not yeah. even be the answer. Well, and being from Disneyland, it is an attraction. Yes. So I think of it as an attraction. So you're right. The last of 337 concrete beams completed the six-mile-long monorail transportation system for Walt Disney World, which will open in October. The first Martin Marietta Mark IV monorail is also lowered onto the beam. The monorail trains were built using a design by Imagineer Bob Gurr, who will be on the show in just a few weeks. Yep. And who you can meet on May 19th when you join me in the Waltland tour. Okay, April 16th. Which Walt Disney World Resort opened its doors to guests on April 16th, 2001? Oh, um, 2001. That is a good question. Um... This is one of my favorite places to stay. Yeah, uh, this should be jumping out for me a lot easier. I know the boardwalk was already there, because when I was there in 2000, that was one of the times where there was a hostage situation at the boardwalk. 
and we were staying that trip at Wilderness Lodge, and I think Wilderness Lodge was there since the early 90s, and obviously Caribbean was. Um, was it maybe... Well, the one thing that jumped out to me maybe was Pop Century, but I doubt that would be a favorite place of yours to stay. Is that your answer? Yeah. It's Animal Kingdom Lodge. This six-story resort designed by renowned architect Peter Hmm. Dominic featured deluxe facilities and luxury suites with the feel of a South African game reserve lodge. Amidst a 33-acre wildlife preserve, guests could observe more than 30 species of wildlife on display from the comfort of their balconies. The savannas are specially are special areas built specifically for the Animal Kingdom Lodge and are separate from the nearby theme park, Disney's Animal Kingdom. Yeah. My favorite park. That makes sense. There. I should have got that. (laughs) April 17th. Which character created specifically for Walt Disney World and later retired was reintroduced to the Magic Kingdom on April 17th, 2012? That would be Orange Bird. You're right. Mm-hmm. Return to the Sunshine there. Tree Terrace signage yeah. on a distinct and and on distinctive drink cups and eventually I do remember you were there. Yeah. Yep. Um, Orange Bird was a character who was developed back in 1970. Walt Disney Productions entered into negotiations with the Florida Citrus Commission to sponsor a Walt Disney World attraction. Early in 1967, a contract was signed in October 1969, formalizing the commission's underwriting of a tropical bird show at a cost of $3 million. The following year, Wed Enterprises created the Orange Bird character to serve as the Florida Citrus Commission's official mascot in promotional campaigns. The Orange Bird also appeared in Walt Disney World's Magic Kingdom as a walk-around character during the resort's first decade. I wish they would bring it back as a walk-around character, but people probably would be very confused. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway. Be Although, fun. boy, there's sure a nostalgia for it. When, when, they, when they introduced that cute little sippy cup a couple of weeks ago, I was amazed by the lines. Yeah. No, there's – there is some – sort of ingrained pride that goes into orange bird i i have it too i don't i don't know why mm-hmm. it's just maybe it's marketing that was just done that well that it makes you think you should love it instantly but i i love orange bird i don't know why. i do too i'll figure it out one day maybe we or have a little orange bird sitting on our sink in the kitchen yeah i have <laughs> i have lots of orange bird stuff from the pops to the the cups to towels to tchotchkes. I like Orange Bird. Hmm. Okay. April 18th. What had its grand opening at Walt Disney World's Animal Kingdom on April 18th, 2002? Hmm. 2002. Um. <laughs> I mean, not quite sure. I'm blanking on times there. Okay, I despise it. <laughs> oh, um, there's a clue for uh, you. <laughs> uh, 
bad Dino Land USA. Yeah, Hester and Chester's Dino Rama. Yeah, <laughs> featuring the new attractions Triceratops Spin and Primeval Whirl has an official grand opening on that day. The Mini Land, located next to Dino Land USA, also features boardwalk type games, including Dino Whamma, a classic mallet strength game, Mammoth Marathon, a racing derby, Comet Crasher, a goblet toss game, Fossil Fueler, a water squirt game themed to a prehistoric gas station, and Bronto Score, a basketball game. All of this worthy of your local state fair. See, that's where memories start getting blurred all together because I knew it didn't open right away, but... I could have swore I remembered it on my 2000 trip, but I was on a lot of thrill rides. My head got shaken around. I'm sure I forgot a lot. (laughs) Okay. All right. April 19th. Dr. Glenn C. Franklin, his wife, Helen, their three children, and Dr. Franklin's mother visit Disneyland on April 19, 1961, and are awarded a guided tour of the park, a table of honor at a luncheon, and unlimited use of attractions for the whole day. Remember, this is when the ticket books are still around. Mm-hmm. Why did they receive this VIP treatment? Oh, I'm assuming it wasn't the first time that they tried Year of a Million Dreams. (laughs) You're right, it was not. (laughs) And I'm also assuming that you didn't go up and rub a lamp and one lucky girl got to be Princess of the Day. Mm -hmm. That was a Full House reference. I didn't know if you'd get that right away. No, I never watched Full House. You didn't even watch the Walt Disney World episodes? No. Okay, you have some homework to do. (laughs) So I'll expect it done by next week, too. We'll be talking about that in the beginning of the show. Um, I'm waiting for the episode, Aunt Becky Goes to the Big House. (laughs) That's that's coming sooner than we think. (laughs) And and I'll be watching on CNN. Uh, Okay, what could have have caused that? Um, I'm assuming they hit a milestone of some sort. I wouldn't even be able to guess what it was, but you don't just walk in and you get something like that if it's not a a big one maybe the 19 you said 1961 1961 so maybe like the 10 millionth guest you're on the right track but it's the 25th million guest oh yeah dr glenn c franklin was the 25th millionth guest to pass through the turnstiles at disneyland so that's good. Remember, 1961, 25 million. Those are those weird trivia things that yeah. come up. So um, anyway. Okay. Very good. April 20th, after seven months at sea as part of Operation Enduring Freedom, U.S. military personnel aboard the USS Shreveport are welcomed to their home port in Norfolk, Virginia, by Disney representatives on April 20th, 2002. Who greeted the ship? Mm-hmm. Well, if it's Disney related, I'm gonna assume Mickey was there. Mm-hmm. But that's right. 
Yep. Mickey Mouse and Disneyland Resort representatives. And the reason is because the Disneyland cast members adopted the Shreveport as part of the resort's um, Operation Uplift program, through which Disney um, employees send messages of support and thanks to United States servicemen and women on active duty outside of the United States. Hmm. I like to feel like nowadays that it wouldn't be Mickey there. It would be a, a really terrible Star-Lord showing up along <laughs> oh with uh, Kylo Ren. And, you know, we'll, we'll see who else gets added. Maybe maybe the the guy who rides in the big giant stilt robot over in Pandora. Oh, yeah, that wouldn't be too frightening yeah. <laughs> uh, for our men and women who come back from combat. <laughs> exactly. So. Although that thing is impressive. I, oh. I keep trying to figure out how it works. Oh, I I won't spoil anything for you on the show. I'll, I'll spoil it for you after we're done. Okay. Is it like the talking trash can? <laughs> close, but not that, not oh, okay. that close. Okay. All right. Well, pretty good, Craig. And, and yeah, I tried to yeah. keep everything in, in the you know 21st century for the most part. I think so. that's why I did well. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Craig, until next time, where can our listeners connect with you on the Diz Unplugged network of shows? As always, you can find me on the Walt Disney World Edition podcast, Universal Edition, Best and Worst of Walt Disney World, uh, the Disneyland edition, other random stuff here and there, and as always on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Teleclaster. What about you, Michael? Well, you can send me messages at Michael at WDWinfo.com. Twitter, I'm at MBowling121. Facebook, I'm Michael Bowling. Instagram, Michael Bowling the Diz. And you can connect with me and Craig on Twitter at ConnectingWalt. If you'd like to listen to more shows on the history of Walt Disney, his studio, his Imagineers, and Disneyland, check out our Disneyland podcast archives for my Disney history episodes at disunplugged.com and look for past episodes of Connecting with Walt on iTunes, where you can subscribe to our show and leave some positive reviews and ratings. And thank you for making us a part of your day. And remember, I only hope that we don't lose sight of one thing that was all started by a man. Walt Disney and his brother Roy. 